This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. As this day was approaching, I kept thinking how I was going to start this talk. There are about a hundred different things I want to say. And I thought of a story I could tell. I kind of thought of a joke. But I think I'll start a little further in. Which is to say, up front... that there's nothing wrong with the state that your mind is in now. Ever. That doesn't mean that the state of mind of the present is the one that you want. It may not be the one that you've been trying to cultivate. It may feel uncomfortable. It may even feel immoral. But it's not wrong. I want to put that out there. We've been talking about the precepts, and tonight we reach number five, which is not indulging in intoxicants. My understanding is that originally this this was really about alcohol. Uh, and, you know, from the perspective of someone who is ordained, someone who is living in a monastic community, it's, it's sometimes taken quite simply. Just don't drink. Right? Simple enough. But with 2,500 years of watching people and watching ourselves, we've arrived at a place, I think with this precept in particular, where we're a bit more sophisticated than that. We see an opportunity in this precept that goes beyond abstinence, beyond prohibition. Every time we've talked about a new precept, I've thought to myself, well, this is the hardest one. And I'm thinking it again tonight, but I'm coming to see more clearly that I'm thinking that because they're really all the same. They all come down to this basic question of pushing and pulling. The thing that we're trying to control, the thing that we can't let be. You can't help but be intoxicated. You're intoxicated right now with something. I've had meals that were so good that they, they put me on a kind of cloud where probably I shouldn't have handled heavy machinery because everything was just dreamy. I've had conversations that did the same thing. That's fine. We aren't going to escape that. 
the key word here, the, the word that makes this precept interesting, is not so much intoxicant as indulge. What are you looking for? What is the thing that you're trying to step into or step away from? We have this idea in the culture already that people drink to forget. If you're drinking to forget, you're trying to step out of one part of your mind or you're trying to shut one part off. That's at the heart of this. Is there something that you think shouldn't be there? Is there something, some experience that would be safer or more pleasurable or more within your design if it were narrow? And this applies to anything. We sit, you know, in the doctor's office as as much in the present moment as we are anywhere else. And after a couple seconds, we pull out the phone. Because in fact, though we say we're bored, the vastness of the present moment is just, it's a little much, (laughs) right? But a four by six screen that's a little more manageable. I can be entertained in this way. I can, I can narrow my aperture so that I'm not having to look at all this. I'm just looking at this. Now, I started out in the beginning saying that no state of mind is wrong. And part two of that is to say that there's no there's no intoxicant that is inherently wrong either. I don't just mean that on a moral level, you know, that that is not alcohol's fault, for example. But that it's complicated. I had a conversation with a friend recently. He was talking about how he had friends, uh, this was years ago, uh, who were originally from Sri Lanka. And the man I was speaking with, he and his friends were being kind of uh, snobs about movies. You know, they were, they were making fun of the blockbuster films and saying, oh, these are just trash. You know, they were, they were talking about these really deep films that everybody should be watching. And their, their friend from Sri Lanka got angry at them and said, what's wrong with you? Right. I come from a place where people have nothing. Our suffering day to day is beyond what you can imagine. And when we watch these movies, when we watch a superhero movie, when we watch something... From an, that represents another reality, it, 
it takes us into a bigger world. Who do you think you are? And my friend said this really, this shook him up. But then the rest of that conversation was examining how maybe for us it's not the same. Maybe that same movie doesn't do the same thing. Maybe for another person, what's expansive is a movie that really forces you to confront your humanity in a different way. I have a very, I have very limited experience with, with, uh, you know, classical drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but what I can say about it, in, in my experience anyway, was that it was, it was quite narrow. It was interesting. In the same way that looking into a, uh, uh, what were the names of those things when we were kids and you'd, you'd look in and, the viewfinder, viewmaster, right? It was, it was interesting in the way that a viewmaster is interesting. I, I was seen in a different way. I thought, oh, this is really neat. Right? It never once occurred to me that now I was seeing the right way. Mm-hmm. Right? Now I'm seeing the true thing. Mm-hmm. That was clearly not true. Mm-hmm. I was seeing a facet of things that admittedly I don't usually see. And so to recognize that that's there, that that's always there, whether that's something I'm seeing externally or whether that's an aspect of mind that is not usually at the forefront, I said, oh, that's cool, right? But there was no question that that this was a narrow lens, Mm -hmm. right? Most of the, that same vast expanse of the present didn't feel so vast, and it didn't feel so present. So for me, even though it did me no harm, I can see that's not a place where I want to spend my time. That's an indulgence. It's a kind of cutting off. But then there are also programs in which uh, cancer patients or people with PTSD are given psychosyllabin. And it shakes up their world. Often they're just, it's just one time. Right. But those are examples of situations in which people are already contracted so completely around something, whether it is their suffering, whether it is fear, whether it is a, a, uh, a, a kind of wall of anxiety, that that same thing that for me felt like an amusement, for them, can break the walls down and re-invite them into their lives. 
it demonstrates to them that there's more than they thought from this contracted space. I wouldn't call that indulging. But again, they're not going back and back and back. There's a utility here. So much of this practice, as I understand it, I don't want to say this practice, that feels too narrow. So much of paying attention is about paying attention to how things affect you. It's the science of you. We can go our whole lives without realizing why we feel good or why we feel bad. I've mentioned, I think, that my my brother was allergic to pets and we didn't know. So he was sick until he was 18. And he finally left home and went to college. And for the first time in his life, he felt okay. We had no idea how things were touching his life. Right? My daughter, about a year ago, she said, I don't want to drink milk anymore. We said, why? We thought she was being weird. She said, it makes me feel bad. And we pushed a little bit, and then we realized that she was right. She had figured it out. She knew that she couldn't really handle milk. And I'm grateful because she could have gone another 10 years, another 20 years, without realizing that milk was the thing that was bothering her. Meanwhile, my son, if he watches a lot of TV or if he plays video games, he gets he gets kind of trapped and he gets irritable and he stops looking you in the eye so much and he doesn't want to get pulled away and he's not having fun that's not what it is it's like there's a cord and he doesn't want that cord cut right and so i find myself talking with this boy all the time about how he, he knows, for example, that eating a lot of cake makes him feel bad. He knows that eating a lot of ice cream makes him feel bad, even though he enjoys it. Right? But he doesn't have the sensitivity to see that there's something there, there's something in that other activity that's actually making him feel bad when he thinks it makes him feel good. Right? I guarantee you, you have this thing or maybe a hundred of these things. You have a fantasy, for example, that you turn over and over in your mind because it's comfortable and because there's something that you get from it. And it, it causes you pain. But you can pull it up whenever. You can sit in Zazen and you can pull it up. Or a memory. There's something that you can, you can kind of roll around in your palm. And you're so used to doing it that you've decided it feels good. But it's an addiction. Right? People who smoke know that smoking doesn't actually make them feel better. But it, it sounds so bad to stop. 
just like all the rest, if, if you want to explore this precept, you can do it sitting down facing the wall. Not in an abstract way, but in a direct way. Because there is something intoxicating in which you are pulled to indulge. <laughs> when you are alone in your head. You have the option to start noticing what your real relationship is to that. You have the option to start noticing that that encounter that you keep going back to, for some people it isn't compulsive like that, but I think for many people it is. It's, it's a few, you know, we have a, a, a short playlist, right? Some people are probably more creative than I am. We have the option, though, to recognize that when we go back to that, that it's not expansive. It's not open. It's not receptive. And consequently, it doesn't do anything to make us more skillful in the world. It doesn't make us aware. It doesn't help us notice something new. Because we're just fine-tuning this very tiny thing. We're trying this variation on it, and this variation on it, and this variation on it. We're stuck. In the same way that you can go home and get drunk tonight, and get drunk tomorrow night, and get drunk the next night, and after a while you're really not going to discover something really profound in that experience. Night five will not take you to a deep, 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 deep place that you've never seen before. It's territory you've covered, right? You can move on. Don't worry about whether you're in the right state of mind. But notice the state of mind that you're choosing. Ask yourself why, and ask yourself what the other option might be. And I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.